Welcome to the Never Stop Getting Better podcast powered by Guardian Caps. Guardian Caps are a one-size-fits-all helmet cover that help reduce impact for your players during practice. Coach Perry is a huge proponent of Guardian Caps after using them at Pearl High School, and it was one of the first football items he purchased when taking the job at Nixon. Caps are mandated by the NFL for O-line, D-line, linebackers, tight ends, and running backs, and utilized by over 270 colleges, over 3,000 high schools, and over 600 youth programs across the country. As helmets become more and more expensive, the Guardian Caps also do a great job of protecting your helmet investment. See the link in our show notes for more information on Guardian Caps. In each episode, John takes you on a journey of growth, learning, and endless improvement. Whether you're an athlete, coach, or someone simply just striving to get better, this podcast is for you. Now, here's your host, John Perry. All right, welcome back to the show this week. I've got an outstanding once-in-a-lifetime guest today. Normally, I read off a whole lot of stuff, but this is what I'm going to say. Our guest today is the 2023 SEC Coach of the Year. Do I need to say more? I will say more for him. He was the 33rd head football coach hired at Missouri in December of 2019. That three straight uh, top 25 recruiting classes, went 11-2 and and is a top 10 team in 2023, defeated Ohio State in the Goodyear Cotton Bowl, and when he was hired, was the youngest head coach in the SEC when you were hired. So, um, Coach Drinkwitz, man, Eli Drinkwitz is our guest, as I'm sure everybody in this state has figured out. Um, Thank you for taking the time to be on the show. I'm excited to get an opportunity to ask you a few questions. Man, uh, appreciate the introduction. A little bit surreal. SEC head coach. I mean, that's reserved for like Nick Saban and Kirby Smart and Gus Malzahn and Gene Chizik and and uh, Les Miles and and you know these guys that are just Urban Meyer, Steve Spurrier. Uh, you know, so to to have that honor is is pretty special. And um, the one thing that I, I told our team and our staff is it's really not my award. Um, it's really their award. You know, I think when you get voted SEC coach of the year, you're basically, they're saying this is the team of the year and everybody's recognizing, um, the way our team played, the way our coaches coached, um, the way they all work together to achieve whatever we accomplished this year. So it's kind of humbling. Uh, obviously when you name all that other stuff, it, it, it adds, especially this time of year, a different set of pressure, like, okay, I've got to accomplish this. Um, and then the other thing I was going to tell you is a quick story. I've never told anybody this before, but, but so when you get introduced as a head coach, they, they have a Jersey and it's usually the number of head coach you are. Right. So when I went to app state, they gave me a number 18. Okay. Well, then I come to Missouri and they gave me 33. Well, my wife asks to get a 19 because she thought it was the year that you're the head coach. (laughs) Because she wanted to put the App State year, the, the Missouri year. That makes sense. <laughs> I'm like, but like, that 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 ain't how it works, baby. Yeah, I, uh, it, it was actually 33 because of the 33 head coach that they've had at the University of Missouri. She goes, oh, okay. So, <laughs> well, uh, that's a. I would have not known that either had you not said that when you yeah. said, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know what they picked them out for. Well, I'm gonna be honest with you. Of all the SEC head coaches, if I could share a few minutes with one, it would be you. And I'm going to tell you why. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. What you have done in your short 40 years on this earth is quite remarkable, you know? So what I would like for you to do first, because I do, from your background, and I'm sure you know this, like 
it's not it's not normal in the SEC yeah. for the head coach to be a guy that didn't play college football, you know, didn't right. do certain things, you know. Um, I know at one point in time you and Mike Leach were the two that had not played yeah. college football. Well, you know, what I would like for you to do is start – let's go back to Alma, Arkansas. What okay. I would like to know is what – you know, in your – I think you moved there in about the third grade. What in that yeah. – time of growing up in Alma with your parents, with that school system, what behavior skills and things did you acquire that have helped you climb the ladder to where you are right now? Whether it's the values that your parents put into you or you had a great high school football coach, you know, went to a successful high school that won several state championships. Like, What are some of the things that you learned growing up that have aided you in your in your process? Well, first off, the minds of implant in the ways the Lord directs your steps, right? And, um, you know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean on your, on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, he'll make your path straight. Our faith was a huge part of my my life growing up, and definitely uh, a, a walking stick along this journey of college football. And um, totally believe that the Lord has has for whatever reason blessed me on this path. Um, and so I would say definitely, you know, living in Alma, believing and having a faith uh, was critical. You know, when I was at App State, there was a saying there that said winners win. Right. And I felt like that, that, that was true there. But when I look back at Alma, that was kind of the way we were at Alma. Like we just knew we were going to win Alma high school football, Frank Vines playing for that coach, understanding the toughness. It, there was an expectation and a standard that had to be met in order to play the game and to play it at that level at Alma. Um, and we knew we were going to win on Friday nights. We, we knew we were going to, we didn't know how we just knew we were going to, the result was going to be, we were going to win. And there was a certain expectation and standard that everybody had to meet. Um, and so, you know, as you go through that and then you get an opportunity to coach, that's just kind of your expectation, your standard that you operate in. In and that's that's the way we operated. Whether I was coaching Alma Middle School my first job or went to Springdale, uh, whether I was working with Gus in 2004 as a as a student teacher, um, or even got an opportunity to go coach at Auburn in 2010 and we won the national championship, it was like it was remarkable and it was an impressive time. But it was kind of like this is the standard. This is how I've always operated. And so it wasn't like a surprise. Um, and I kind of get that same feeling now whenever I go into a program, wherever I've been. You know, went to Arkansas State. We won back-to-back -back conference championships. Went there to Boise State, uh, played in the Fiesta Bowl. Went to NC State, um, three straight bowl games, back-to-back nine-win seasons. Went to App State, won a conference championship. It was kind of like that's just the standard of how we operate. And I would say it just goes back to – Alma, that's the expectation. Um, and it never really came off of that. You know, and that's, you know, that's, it's not coincidental. You know, the good Lord puts us where yeah. he wants us. And, you know, the fact that you was able to play for such a successful high school football coach, like that lesson that you learned or that expectation of winning, mm -hmm. like is something that everybody don't learn that because everybody don't get a chance to play for a successful program. in right. high school. You know, it took me into my, you know, late 20s when I coached with two Hall of Fame high school coaches in Mississippi. And if somebody said, what separated them from everybody else? 
It was their belief that they were going to yeah. win every single game that they ever coached in. Like yeah. they didn't even think about the alternative, you know, and it right. just – that bled throughout the entire program, yeah. which my guess is that bleeds throughout, you know, yeah. the program there at Mizzou. Like everybody expects to win, you know, and that's – Yeah, and I would say too, like especially for me in my formidable years, you know, obviously Coach Vines hired me as my first head coaching job. Um, but being around him – um, you know, we ran the wing T offense. We played great defense, and we found ways to win football games. And it wasn't always the prettiest. We weren't, you know, we we ended up running the Nebraska eye my senior year, running uh, uh, Veer uh, in midline because he had, he kind of evolved, but but evolved in a way that wasn't spread. We weren't running spread offense. We were running things that gave him the opportunity to find ways to win, and that's still something that I I kind of cling to today as a head coach, like. I don't care about the trends. I want to be, I want to know them. I want to be above them. But at the end of the day, we just want to win. And what's it going to take to win this game? Um, do we have to play great defense? Do we have to play unbelievable special teams? Do we need to play unbelievable defense? Can we be more aggressive on defense? Be, you know, just whatever that formula is. And I, I would, you know, now that I'm able to look back, I sit there and say, okay, if I hadn't had that, maybe I would be different. You know, sure. but I had that, and it was a huge part of my growth, and and a still huge part of how I think through the game today. No doubt about it, and and what a blessing that was. I want to fast forward. I want to go, you know, to say two thousand nine. You're yeah. at Springdale, and mm -hmm. the job comes open, and you yeah. apply for it. Yeah, and you think you should get it. You think of you to get it, but yeah. you don't get it. No. What was that like? Um. You know, so I blame Rick Jones for this thought process because <laughs> I, I applied for the job, right? And I call Rick and I'm asking for advice. And Rick was like, don't apply unless you believe you're the best guy for it. He's like, if you're going to interview for a job, you better believe. And he was like, I don't care if I apply for the job or anybody, but you better believe that you should deserve that job and go interview in such a way. And so I was like, all right. So I went in there with the mindset that I was, I mean, I had a plan. I had a practice, had a presentation. Um and I believed I should have got it, and I didn't get it. Um, but it was really one of those first character tests for me um, to say, how am I going to respond? You know, am I going to tuck my tail and run? Am I going to take the first job I can get? There, there were about four other high school jobs. In fact, Rick Jones actually did try to hire me um, to come down to Greenwood to be the offensive coordinator, and I just I couldn't do it. Um, Fayetteville hired, offered me a job. I couldn't do it. And I was like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm going to – I'm going to be a person of character and it didn't work out for me, but I'm going to stay and do the very best job I can. Okay. And so uh, I had every intention of staying, but again, it goes back to the minds man playing the ways the Lord directs their steps. Mm. Uh, and it turned out that, I don't know if you ever heard that Garth Brooks songs, uh, God's greatest gifts or unanswered prayers. Well, no right. Doubt. Well, I didn't get the job. And literally six weeks later, Gus Malzahn offers me, a quality control position at Auburn for $15,000 a year and no benefits. And had I had been the head coach at Springdale, there's zero chance. One, he wouldn't have offered me. Two, I wouldn't have done it. There was just, it wouldn't have happened. But because of the way those things worked out, you know, my wife said, let's do it. We did it, sold our house, moved into an apartment. And, you know, I don't know how many years later this has been. It It, it is what it is. Well, and that's, you know, that's why I find it so amazing. You know, and Rick Jones, you know, when I was talking to him about you, 
You know, he said, man, he's a self-made guy. You know, like he has counted, he has bet on himself all along the way, you yeah. know, with his skill and with his talent. And, you know, he said you did turn down a job at Greenwood to make ten or $15,000 somewhere. And he's like, you know, like who would do that? Like who would, you know, and then you leave there and you do like you're, I mean, you're married. And I think you've either got a kid or you got one on the way and y'all move, you know, to, to Auburn with a $15,000 paycheck. Like yeah. what was the thought behind that? Was it a faith, you know, or was it a extreme desire? Did you have like this, I want to be a college football coach. <laughs> I'm going to do whatever it takes. Or was it more faith led? Like what was the decision um, on that? So my wife, I, I'll never forget. Cause when Gus finally told us them, Gus is a hell of a recruiter, right? Cause he, sure. he tells you all the things that it's going to be, but he doesn't tell you the money. Right. And then, then he tells you the money and you're like, I can't do that. <laughs> and I'll never forget. My wife said, we'll always regret it if we don't do it. And I was like, you know what? You're right. There's just so many, there's, there's very few chances and opportunities to get into college football. And if you don't take them, um, and I'll say this, like, I, yes, we, we, we've bet on ourselves, but we don't take uncalculated. I mean, we're very calculated, right? Like Gus Malzahn at the time was the hottest offensive coordinator in college football. Sure. If you're going to attach yourself to somebody in college and take an opportunity, you want to be close to somebody who's can get a head coaching job because that's the way you get your opportunities. And so that, that was part of it. And I, the other part of it was like you kind of know if you stay in high school football what what the financials are, right? Sure. Sure. I, I'm a I'm a magna cum laude at Arkansas Tech. All right. But I, I'm not a trust fund baby. I don't sure. have I, I, there was only one way to ever get into this category, right? It it was an opportunity at some point to make six figures. Now, God bless seven, you know, sure. but it was kind of those kind of calculations um, that that all work together to say, look, you got one shot at it, man. Take your chance. Have no regrets. And uh, it goes back to like the minds of men plan the ways, but the Lord will, the Lord directs their steps. And there, there's another verse in, in uh, Proverbs that say, your gift will make room for you and bring you in front of great men. And um, my my a verse that I feel very strong about is Ephesians four one live a life worthy of the calling you've received. I believe God's given every single person a unique gift and calling. And you, you've you got to work to to uh, maximize that gift. For like sure. it's not, I don't think God just gives you a gift and he's just going to clear everything out of the way and it's your, it's your time to shine. Sure. Right? Like you got to really put some faith behind it. Faith without works is dead. You got to put some works behind it and you got to live a life worthy of what God's given you. And I think all of those things kind of have have dr driven me to the point where I'm at now. Man, that's awesome. And that's a, you know, that's a fantastic answer. What are a couple of lessons you've learned along the way? Because, you know, from Auburn, you know, you go to several different places, right? You're at Arkansas State, you're at Boise State, mm -hmm. you're at NC State, you're at App State. Mm -hmm. Um what are some lessons you learned along the way yeah. that helped you get that job? Because the job you got at Mizzou, you know, I have a coach that is a um, Mizzou, like, like he would walk to Mizzou right now. If y'all had a game and he could get a ticket, he'd walk. Right. Like, and it's a long yeah. way, but I asked him, I'm like, how did he get the job? Yeah. You know, like you'd been a head coach for one year, although yeah. it was a successful one year. Right. Yeah. And you know, like, but my thought was you put yourself in the situation to get it. 
You know what I mean? And the lessons you learned along the way and you were successful along the way. I mean, you were yeah. thought of as a brilliant offensive coach, you know, but what are some lessons you learned that put you in the situation to be the head coach at Mizzou? Yeah. I think number one is maximize the opportunities that you have by embracing the role that you're given. Mm. And here, here's what this means. I'll never forget. I get, get down there. Gus takes me out to dinner the first night I'm there and he tells me, Eli, your number one job is to make sure you beat me to the office to have coffee ready. Mm. <laughs> not skill, not this, not that. Then it was to check on players, get them to class, blah, blah, blah. But number one, make sure you can have coffee ready for me. And so, man, like, all right. And it didn't matter. Um, it didn't matter if it was in season, out of season. I was going to be there when – before Gus got there, and it was a trick. Like you had to figure out. Like I had to get Christie's cell number and check. Like, hey, what, what? When's he going into? The, do you have any idea when he's going into the office tomorrow? Like blah blah blah. You, he gets into a routine. But like even Friday mornings, most co coaches take Friday mornings off, right? And that's the time you get downtime with your family. And all the GAs did. Gus did. Gus went in, and so I had to be in Friday morning, seven forty-five. I would have his call sheet ready. I'd have brand new sharpies ready for him. Just sat there. So when he walked in, it was like, holy cow. Then I grew in from just doing that to, man, then he trusted me to go get his lunch for me. He trusted me on Monday to go get breakfast. You know, he knew, and I knew what he wanted. All right. He wanted the loaded omelet biscuit from Hardee's and he wanted sausage biscuit and gravy from barbecue house. Like I knew it. And so when I say like maximize your opportunity within the role you're given, I think too many times we want to like maximize our opportunity in a, in a different role. Sure. Like, I, my role wasn't to draw up plays or do any of that stuff. It was to do the job of a quality control and do it to the very best I could. And when I did that, man, opportunities are multiplied as they're seized. He went to Arkansas State. Here's the craziest thing. Gus did not intend to take me to coach on the field at Arkansas State. He took me to be the director of football operations. But because I went there and maximized the opportunity, I showed up worked my butt off for six weeks recruiting, helped him put together the best recruiting class in Arkansas State history. He got to the end of the bench and was like, I'm not going to find anybody better than him. I'm just going to put him on the field. And then there you go. You know, one part of my story that very few people know is that Gus, you know, took the Auburn job and he would have taken me on an off the field role or I could stay and try to pursue a job with Brian Harson at Arkansas State, and I did that. But there was about a week period where we didn't really know. Oh, shoot, it's about a 10-day period where we didn't really know. And I knew I didn't want to go with Gus off the field. I just I didn't want to do that. My high school alma mater offered me the high school job. Mm. And it was a, it's a great job. I mean, it's an absolute fantastic job. But, man, I just felt like, man, I'd, I'd be stepping off too quick. Like I'd be taking the easy way out. And most people would rationalize say it's a great decision. Sure. And I didn't have I didn't have any more contract. I was getting paid through the end of the month. And I I had to tell them. And I said, no, I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait and see if I can get this head coaching job. And or not, I, I'm gonna wait and see if I can get this on the field job. Sure. And Brian Harson gave me the running backs job and the rest is history from that point. Well, two thoughts. Number one, this was another thing Rick Jones said is that you very much lived in the merit-based system as far as 
you made folks want you. You made folks, and that's doing exactly what you just said. That was being elite at the role that you had. So then you were needed by other people, you know. Now, when you were, you know, say you were in that limbo right there, did you have a vision, you know, like, did you have a dream of being, you know, a, a head college football coach? Did you ever have that look that far ahead or you were just no. trying to maximize? No, I didn't. I really had no... I didn't. Um, when I was a high school coach, I'd made a plan like, you know, I was going to be a junior high coach for five years. Then I was going to try to get a high school job. Then I was going to try to get a coordinator. And man, by the time I'm 35, I'd really start trying to be a head football coach. Right. And when I got into college football, I'll never, Brian Hartson was like, what's your goals? I'm like, I, I really don't have any. Mm. And he was like, you need to write your goals down. Right. Mm. And I said, okay, it was the first time. We'd moved to Boise. It was the first time I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to get serious about this. Let me see if I can find it on my phone. Mm -hmm. And so I finally was like, all right, I'll, I'll write, I'll write this down. And I put it in my mirror in the bathroom. And it was something just to um, remind me of what my dreams and goals were to keep me going. I don't know if you'll be able to see this, but. Yep. So it's like Eli's goals. And it's 7-21-14. Be a Division One offense coordinator by age 35. Be a head coach uh, by the age of 40. Inspire, equip, and encourage all I come in contact uh, with to be their personal best. Wow. And, man, it's a it's a powerful thing when you write something down and it just – you you basically make a contract with yourself. <laughs> like, all right, you said it. Now let's go get it. And uh, it's something I actually still show our guys to this day, like – you know, you, you can create for yourself what you want by writing it down and going pursuing it. No doubt about it. I heard uh, Sherry Cole on this podcast or in one of her uh, blogs, she made the statement that when she was in high school, she wrote down on a sheet of paper, I want to be a state champion. I want to be an all-state player and I want to sign a full scholarship in college. She wrote it down in ninth grade, put it on her locker. She swapped classes every period. She swapped books every period. So six times a day, she opened that locker and she saw those three goals. She graduated high school. She was an all-state player. They won a state championship and she signed up, you know, a full scholarship. And she says, look, that ain't the reason why I did it. Right. Because there is luck, there's fortune, there's what if I 100%. got hurt. But it made it possible. Like that thought was there, that, that thought of what I could do, you know, it made it possible. So I know that there's something to, you know, writing it down and, you know, going after it. To this point in your life right now, what are you most proud of? Um, <laughs> I'd say I'm most proud of that I'm married to my high school sweetheart for 18 years. Um, love my life. We've got a great marriage. It's not always been easy, um, but we we are fighting for each other all the time. Um, and then my four girls, um, I got a great family and that's not always possible in this profession. You know, I, I really think, um, this past six weeks, eight weeks, whatever, when you see the greats retire and you see how quickly they're replaced, it kind of puts in perspective, like pursuing this job and this opportunity is great, but man, when you're done, if you can't walk home to something that, that really matters, what are you doing it for? Because in 48 hours, man, they replaced the greatest uh, uh, college football coach of all time, and all they were talking about was who's next and who's getting the job. Like within a within an hour of him announcing his retirement, 
the only thing anybody wanted to know was who's next. <laughs> like if that don't if that don't put it in perspective and context for you, like, bro, this game is gonna move on without you. And if you can't go home and see your family and have something tangible there with the people that you really love and care about. So I would say that's something that I'm incredibly proud of. Um, you know, awards, wins, losses. I'm proud of them for the people, but for me, like it, it is what it is. Sure. Uh, it, it's not something I'm going to hang my hat on because I know this about this profession and this game. It will humble you. The moment you're sitting there beating your chest about a, about a cotton bowl win, they'll bring up the fact that you got beaten in the Gasparilla bowl by a different team. So those things come and go. The things that really matter to me are believing in Cody Schrader and giving him an opportunity and truly living the values that we have, which is always compete. It would have been really easy to say, yeah, we're going to let a walk on come, but making sure he never played because I got to make sure I take care of scholarship guys, or I got to make sure. No, man. Like that's that's not the values that we believe in. We truly believe that it's a competitive culture in nature, and that if you if you earn it, you're gonna get it, man. And um, so I'm proud of that. I'm proud to watch his journey. I'm proud of the development of some of these players. I'm proud of Chris Abrams Drain. Um, I'm proud of Brady Cook. I'm proud of that that football coach after the K State game that instead of basking in that win, went out there and told the fans, "Quit booing the high school. Quit booing the quarterback, man." Because it finally for me was like, you know, stand up for your guys. Quit being a quit, quit being a, bending over to the pu public perception, you know, like or bow down to public perception. Like stand up for your guys. And I think it was a, a kind of a turning point for me as a head coach. I'm gonna tell you what a turning point for me, just as a fan, was when Brady Cook took to the podium and said, "All I want is for you know the people to cheer for our team, you know, and yeah. cheer for me and cheer for our team because that dude, right, the core of him." he's a winner, you know, like that's, that's what he is. And that's what he was fighting for. But that's also how, you know, that's how people are, right. That's how this profession is. Mm -hmm. it's, it's what have you done for me lately? And, you know, I got a book. I know you're a book reader. Okay. I am. Yep. Um, have you read the second mountain? I haven't, huh? David Brooks. I got that book suggestion from Anson Dorrance, who is the modern day. Yeah. Hollywood, right. Well, that book talks about how, we climb this first mountain. This first mountain is wins, rings, championships, status, titles. And when we get to the top, we'll never be fulfilled. Like it, it would always be something else. That second mountain is the one of purpose. You know, it's the one of service. It's the one where we make a difference in this world. And that's where, that's where all the good stuff is. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And that's a, you know, that book really drills that home, you know, that, we need to be climbing the right mountain because like, like you said, Nick Saban, like how fast was that? You know, like he, he, the greatest probably coach of all time. And within 30 minutes, I mean, they've moved on, you know, like that's, if that's not humbling, what is? What kind of world do we live in where Bill Belichick is not hireable in, in the NFL? I mean, I, I don't world. even know what we're doing anymore, you know? So for me, it's like, you you understand yeah you're gonna have to send me that title text me that book title because I'll read it this I'll read it uh, I'm actually on a uh different book right now uh but yeah that'll be my next sure. one all right I got a few football questions just in general yeah, yeah. Um, new scheduling process in SEC good or bad 
Guardian caps are lightweight, one size fits all football helmet covers for practice. They reduce 20 to 33% of the impact, depending on the speed and the location. Great for the repetitive sub-concussive blows that add up throughout the week. Also great for body blows. Used by Clemson, Penn State, Washington, Oklahoma, 150 other colleges, and about 2,000 high schools across the country. Also protect that helmet. If your helmets are getting beat up at the end of the year, Guardian caps can help protect that helmet investment. Um, it's good because ultimately now with it being a playoff, uh, you, you, you want to have as much variety and opportunity to build the best schedule you can and provide, uh, the greatest opportunity to, to get into the playoff. Sure. And this scheduling model gives you the most balance. Awesome. All right. From your seat, not mine. How has the portal affected high school recruiting? Um, delayed, but not denied it. Um, there's still an avenue of importance for high school recruiting. Um, but it, it's probably going to slow the development of the high school player. Um, and it probably puts them in more jeopardy to transfer than ever before. Um, yeah, that's how I would see it. All right. Well, this is off topic, but it just popped in my head. I have a strange head. Do you think there's another SEC coach that's been a student body president at um, <laughs> Arkansas Tech? Uh, no. <laughs> that that's a unique feature in itself, you know. Like that's that goes back to the whole why I would love to, you know, why I wanted to, you know, talk to you because your your background is so unique to where you come from. What can we do as high school coaches to get our players more ready to play in the SEC? In the SEC. Oof. Um, I think the game. I think at all levels. You know, Ryan Day said this in in the Ohio uh, or in the Cotton Bowl press conference. And I believe the game is is probably the best product it's ever been in the history of the game at all levels. Whether you're talking about NFL, college football, high school football, um, I, I think at the end of the day, what everybody has to understand is that this game still requires a measure of toughness and work ethic and resilience and grit that cannot be sacrificed and will not be replaced. And it won't be replaced by talent. It won't be replaced by money. It won't be replaced by um, um, social media. Like at the end of the day, you still got to have a level of toughness. You got to have a grit. You got to have a work ethic. I think Cody Schrader is the the ultimate example of that. No doubt. Um, he he's he's plenty talented enough, but he had that rare combination with him that rose him to elite status. And I think the more high profile these games are getting, the more people think they're they're going to either microwave their success or they're going to bite, they're going to skip a step because they're talented. And I'm receiving this much payment from NIL. Man, I, it's still a meritocracy. You got to you got to move a man against his will on the offensive side of the ball to be successful. And there ain't no man that I know of that's gonna give it to you because you're talented or because you make this kind of money. Man, that ain't that that ain't that ain't real. And so football still tests you in those ways. And and I think if you're gonna be a successful football coach to prepare players for the SEC, you just can't skip those things. Sure. No doubt about it. I love that. What's the what's the best part of your job? Wow. I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, number one, they pay me to do this. Like I, I, I remind myself all the time, like these 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 guys pay me. 
Like I'm going to get courtside tickets to the Tennessee game tonight. They're number five team in the country. In my life, I would have never had courtside yeah. seats for what? Sure. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, I get to interact with some of the greatest people on the planet. These players, I mean, Cody Schrader, Brady Cook, Luther Burden, their parents. Sure. I get to travel charter planes. Um, I get to go to see high schools. I mean, I've been to your high school to recruit your players. Like those things fill my life. I love that stuff. Like some people, oh, I don't like recruiting. I actually love it. Sure. I mean, I have to go speak at a high school football clinic, man, and hey. share to to the to coaches in Alabama in a million years. I never. I mean, I remember taking Chiz and dropping him off at that clinic. They wouldn't even let me inside, and then. You know, 10 years later, they're having me as a keynote speaker. It's like, holy cow. So I, there's so many awesome things about this job that, like, I just, anytime I feel sorry for myself or get in that mind, like I'm stressed out or I got to replace this coach, it's like, bro, are you kidding me? Like, compared to what? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, ooh, that's really tough compared to what? Like, people will call me like, oh, coach, man, you got a tough job. I'm like, compared to what? Yeah, amen. I don't well, have a job. There ain't many folks from Alma that's doing some of the things you're doing, okay? Um, <laughs> yeah. What's Maybe. the what's the worst part of your job? Disappointing people. Mm. Disappointing people. Um, and and you you deal with as a people pleaser by nature, that's probably the hardest part of my job in any form or fashion, whether it's holding a high standard and disappointing people when you hold them accountable because it personally hurts them, whether it's disappointing people who their their dream their entire life is to play at the University of Missouri, and they want that scholarship offer so bad, and I just can't give it to them. I want to, but I can't. Or somebody who's played their whole life college football, and they think they're good enough to start, and I got to disappoint them, and, and they're not going to be a starter. Um, or the fans who spend their hard-earned money, who – Blood, blood, I mean, they live, breathe, blood, sweat, sure. tears for the University of Missouri. And you come up short, you know, you get beat by LSU on a on an interception. Um, sure, you, it, it's that's the hardest part is disappointing people. And hell, I'll be honest, it's disappointing your own family. You know, this is the first year I've been home for my wife's birthday in three years. Hmm. You know, December fourteenth. I told her, I said, "Baby, you shouldn't have got uh, should have been born during recruiting." You know, that's <laughs> tough. Um. But yeah, I mean, there's so many things that you got to disappoint people in, and, and that's hard. That's my, my my next question. You led me into that. How great your wife? Because without your wife, you're not sitting right there as the head coach at Mizzou, and there's no doubt about that. Nope. She she's been unbelievably impressive in every facet. I, I haven't. I've been very selfish. Um, and when you're focused on this career, you 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 make selfish decisions. You put other people's needs and interests ahead of your own, but even your family. And she's been incredibly patient, caring, kind, manage our, manages our family, handles the girls. You know, God knew what he's doing, giving us girls um, in this in this profession. And, and uh, she's been unbelievable. But, yeah, I mean, number one, I wouldn't even be here because I don't know that I would have alone had the courage to make that decision. Sure. But when she gave me the the push that said, well, ha we have to do it, it was a no-brainer at that point. Two more questions. Yeah. How do, you, how do you allocate your time? Like, how do you manage your time on a 24-hour day? You know, are there certain things that you do that, you know, like you're going to sleep eight hours, you're going to, you know, like, is there a calendar? Is there a, you yeah. know, like, 
how do you manage to get the most out of your 24 hours? I have a workout routine. So I'm up every morning at 530. Uh, and I get in the office and I'm going to work out. And then that gives me you know, the moment everybody else gets in the office, problems begin. So if I can get to the office before everybody else to have my own time, work out, quiet time and get get GSD, get stuff done time, yeah. then then my day is going to be productive. The next thing I learned is that if you're going to so much of my job is phone calls, make phone calls while you're walking. So, you know, I, I'll schedule phone calls like today. I had about six phone calls. So I just went for a walk and made all the calls, wow. um, you know, as long as the weather's nice. Uh, but to try to stay active um, and and try to duplicate, try to um, compartmentalize, but but double up things that you can double up. Um, and then, you know, you got to make time. The reason why I couldn't keep calling plays is because I couldn't continue to make time for everything. And when you don't do that, there's things that you push to the side. And for me, it was offensive football. I wasn't studying the way I needed to. So now I've created time for me to just study football so that I can continue to improve. Um, but that's kind of how I do it. All right. What, what, um, what do you do on a daily basis to continue to get better? Like, what do you yeah. study? What do you read? What do you look into? Like, how do you keep from, you know, plateauing or becoming complacent? Well, I, I do think one of the things that will always keep you complacent is when you have to hire new coaches and recreate your system, it starts over every year. And sure. I do think that's a benefit of the portal and a benefit of hiring new coaches is it makes you reteach everything, which, I mean, we had a four-hour staff meeting this morning to reteach how we do circuits, how we teach fundamentals, how we teach ball security, how we teach recruiting, what are we looking for? And so that that keeps you sharp. Um, I actually try to make sure I watch I, I'm, I study a football team all the way through the season. You know, um, I got two NFL teams. I got two college teams. Um, we, we quality control our, our season. Like this year we studied our, our to this morning, we had somebody present to the staff, all of our missed tackles, all of our missed tackles on special teams. How do we improve? Wow. We had somebody present takeaways and turnovers. We looked at every takeaway that we took. Over 60% of them occurred in the pocket for the quarterback. So it, reminding us to make sure we're drilling if we get to the quarterback, force a fumble. Wow. Offensively, where did we miss? The, you know, we had two fumbles. What were the two issues? One was a quarterback issue. One was a ball carrier issue. We're incorporating a new drill from that. Um, we did all of our end-of-half, end-of-game scenarios. We were 50% end-of-game scenarios to win the game. Um, we had four opportunities. We were two for four. Two losses. We obviously didn't get it done, but but two wins that take you from an eleven win to a nine win season. Sure. Um, so looking at those things, into you know we talk about the swing eight. So we talk about four point plays. Those presentations are coming the, the later this week. So we're constantly trying to improve. I, I I think one thing about us is there's a certain level of underdog that everybody in this staff room has, and we know that we ain't arrived. Like we ain't as good as we can be and we ain't arrived. Cool. And so there's a certain level of man, if we can just improve a little bit more, if we can just improve a little bit more, if we can. And so we're always looking for like, what's that next improvement? And it's not what's that start over. I'm no, none of us are looking for a new offense or new defense. It's what is that new hand placement? What is that new technique? What is that new um, thing that we can do to get us over the top? Well, I'm going to tell you what, you, you've done a fantastic job and, I'm blessed that you've taken the time to be here. 
the last question before I let you roll on to your Tennessee game tonight. Who's the best shot putter that you've ever known or heard of? <laughs> oh, man. Well, I mean, this is a layup for me. It's got to be Christian Cantwell, 2008 uh, silver medalist uh, in, the I think, the Beijing Olympics. Um, he actually threw at the University of Missouri, and so I'm familiar with him and, and him being an elite thrower. Now, his runner-up would have been David Hale. David Hale was my high school or my junior high PE teacher who also coached shot. And uh, prior to that, I'd never even heard of somebody throwing a shot put as, as far as, as as that. But I would say Christian Cantwell with, uh, with, with David Hale being a close second. Well, I know that fella really well. He's a good fella, and he could. <laughs> and he looks like he could still throw it. As a matter of fact, oh yeah, he swell, does. swell fella. Well, coach, man, I appreciate it. I appreciate the time. Outstanding yeah. for you to take the time from your day. If there's anything that we can ever do to help you, um, we'll do it. If I say M I Z, you know to say Z O U. No doubt about it. Until next time, adios, amigos.